Moms, do you ever feel like you're living in a zoo? Do you look around and wonder where these little animals came from? Who let them in? What do I feed them? How do I train them and tame them? I want to assure you, you are not alone. Welcome to episode 37 of Redeeming the Chaos with Laurie Christine. Hey mama, does your life feel a bit chaotic right now? Do you feel overwhelmed by the responsibility to raise those little boys God has given you? Do you want to raise strong, courageous young men who are fully committed to following Jesus? In all the chaos of raising boys, we recognize that Christ is the only one who can redeem the chaos in our world, our homes, and our own hearts. I know that I can't do this alone. I desperately need God to give me strength every step of the journey. But guess what? I also need you. I would love for you to join me on this wild, wonderful, chaotic adventure of raising courageous boys and connecting their hearts to Christ. We have been talking about the book Wild Things by Stephen James and David Thomas. And I just think the title of the book is so fitting. God has hardwired our boys to be wild. As moms, this is sometimes a hard concept for us to understand, but it is so important for us to realize how God has created our boys so that we can raise them to be strong, courageous young men. We have a very special guest with us on the show today, and I am so excited to have David Thomas, one of the authors of the book Wild Things, with us on the show. He has so much wisdom to share with us, and I think you are going to be really encouraged by our conversation. David Thomas is a licensed master social worker and the director of family counseling at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. He is the co-author of eight books, including the best-selling book, Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, and also the book, Are My Kids on Track? The 12 Emotional, Social, and Spiritual Milestones Your Child Needs to Reach. He is a frequent guest on national television and podcasts, including his own podcast, Raising Boys and Girls. So today is the first of a two-part episode where I interview David Thomas. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the first two stages of a boy's development into manhood, the explorer stage and the lover stage. If you haven't yet listened to my previous episodes about wild things, go back and listen to episodes 35 and 36, and I have a link to those episodes for you in the show notes. In those episodes, we go into detail about who a boy is and what he needs at each stage of development. In my interview with David Thomas today, we go through each of the five stages again, but this time we zero in on what boys need specifically from their moms and some mistakes that moms often make in relating to their boys at each of the stages. Here is my interview with David Thomas. David Thomas, welcome to Redeeming the Chaos. We are so excited to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Well, we have been taking a look at your book called Wild Things, and we talked about it in our last episode, and we are really excited and honored to have you in person here on the show today to talk with us a little bit more about how moms can specifically relate to their boys. And for those of you listening, I just wanted to tell you that my first interaction with David was 
last spring, we had some issues with one of our sons with some anger management and things like that. And we contacted his ministry in Tennessee, Daystar Counseling Ministries, and we were able to set up a parent consultation with David. And it was just so encouraging and helpful. And we were just very blessed. It was a one-hour consultation, but we just came away from that meeting just feeling so blessed by his wisdom. So I'm really excited for you all to be able to benefit from his wisdom and his experience with raising boys. We're really excited about that. David, just tell us real briefly a little bit about your background and why you are qualified to to talk to us about raising boys. Well, first off, thank you for those generous words. Thank you for saying that. I will say, well, I'll jump backwards and say, I am, as you shared, a therapist. I've been practicing at this amazing place called Daystar for almost 25 years now and work with an incredible team of folks. We do the work a little different in that we work in a house rather than an office building. And we're all very clear that the most sought after therapists on our staff are the therapy dogs. We're all kind of in line behind them. We're (laughs) acutely aware where we stand in the pecking order. But that gives you a snapshot of, you know, the fact that we do the work we do in a really different way. And I believe it's a part of why we've been around for over 30 years. Kids and adolescents have responded so well to the work we do because its presentation looks and feels and is different. And the bulk of or big focus of the work that I do is with boys and adolescent young men. The primary focus currently in my work is a lot of what you just shared. I love doing consultations with parents, and I do those with parents all over the country, all over the globe, kind of around the world. And and it is just a time to come together and talk with parents about some unique things they're seeing in a particular season of development and how we could lean in a little farther and create a bit of a to-do list in response to what they're observing. And I'm super grateful to get to do that work and and love intersecting with parents all over. And I have, out of the work I do, had the great privilege and honor of writing some books um, and traveling around the country and talking about different aspects of child development and emotional development and adolescent development and was grateful to get to co-author a book with my good friend and therapist, Stephen James, the one that you so kindly are spending time talking about, which is Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys. And and to travel through development and talk about what's going on in different moments and what boys need from us in response to that, but also to do a deep dive into some of the areas we'll be talking about today, the unique relationship between a boy and his mom and a boy and his dad. And so I'm, I'm thankful anytime I get to come together with parents in any space to be able to talk more about what it looks like to lean in with more intention um, on behalf of the boys we love. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is so important. I love the work that you are doing and your ministry is doing. And I have often wished that I lived in Tennessee for that very reason. I'm like, hey, can I just send all my boys over to you guys? Can you please help us with with all of them? <laughs> can you uh, can you just like uh, start a franchise maybe? And and, and <laughs> <laughs> we get asked that often. We do, and <laughs> and I think it's why I'm so thankful for the speaking and the travel and and the consultations where it feels like we do get to take the work of Daystar out into some different places. And and you know even to the consultation. I think the first place many of us go as parents is thinking, I need to engage a therapist for my child. And sometimes that's the exact right path. And that is what's needed. And sometimes it really is that, you know, there's some things we could be doing, you know, 
doing some of the work of therapy. I love training parents in that space of doing some of the work of therapy in homes with the adults that kids trust the most, their mom and dad already. So that gets me really excited when I can almost work myself out of a job and and do some of the training in that way to where the need may not be as present or present in a different way. Yeah, that is so good. That's so good. So as I mentioned earlier, we have been discussing the five stages of development that a boy goes through on his journey into manhood. And if you missed that episode, just go back and listen to last week's episode and you can dive a little bit deeper into into what those five stages are. But today we want to get really specific about what a mom's role looks like um, in each of those five stages. So I'm going to ask a few questions at each of the stages. We're going to talk about what do boys need most from their moms at this stage? What mistakes do we see moms making during the stage of development? And then how can we connect with our son's hearts during this stage? And I know in the book, Wild Things, David, you have devoted an entire chapter to the relationship of moms and their sons, which I think is so helpful. So actually, before we dive into the to the stages, you mentioned in your book that a mom plays two main roles in the life of her son. So I just want to talk a little bit more generally before we get into those specific stages. What are the main roles that a mom plays in her son's life? Well, I did devote an entire chapter to that relationship. I could have devoted an entire book because I think there is something so significant about the relationship between a mother and a son. And so I'm thankful we're going to devote all of our conversation today to really thinking and talking about that because there's just so much to say. And What I talk about within that chapter is how a mom for a boy is a mirror for masculinity and also what I call an anchor for security. And we can even talk more about what those things mean as we travel forward. But I think starting with the mirror for masculinity, you know, I think so much of how a boy sees his sees himself um, and certainly sees himself in relationship to the opposite sex all throughout his life is founded in that relationship with you and Hmm. you know his relationship with his future wife someday is going to be rooted in that understanding how he learned to negotiate relationship and navigate relationship with the opposite sex so much of that is rooted in that early experience and i talk about within that relationship how in the very beginning of a boy's journey that you are like the center of his universe. Like mom's listening. He just orbits around. You are like this planet that he just orbits around. You're like home base, that plate that he's always running back to. You are so often in a boy's life, the safest place on earth. And so there is so much safety he experiences in that relationship. Now we can talk more about this as we go forward, but sometimes he will experience so much safety that he feels more than okay and working out a lot of things within his relationship with you. And I want him to experience all the safety, but I talk about, you know, I want a boy to experience that you're a safe enough place that he can, you know, process a lot of his hurt and pain. I don't want him to use you as a verbal punching bag. And so I think there is a difference there and a lot he needs you to bring in terms of strength to the relationship so that it doesn't turn into that. There's a difference in my mind between being a sounding board and a verbal punching bag. And we want to make sure it's the first and not the second. Yeah, for sure. I can, uh, I can relate to that. I think (laughs) all moms can. Yes. With my boys for sure. And yeah, sometimes they, 
you know, they hold it all together all day at school and then they come home and they just collapse and melt down and we just get the worst of of the day oftentimes, but it's because they feel safe and that's like their safe place and they know that they're not going to be rejected or kicked out and they feel that that's the place that they can let those emotions go a little bit. Yes. And, and their being, you know, I want boys to hear messages like, I will always be here to listen to you. I am not available for you to disrespect me, you know, and again, that differentiating because left to their own devices, they'll bleed from one space right into the other. And so we can talk more about how to keep that from happening going forward. And I think with the anchor of security, you know, it's so much of that, as I mentioned a moment ago, just briefly being safe, being mm-hmm. a safe place for him. But I think part of that, and I hate to dip into this this early in our conversation because I know a lot of moms are going to feel sinking feeling in their stomach as I say that, but part of that security is also, it's not just being safe, but it's also letting go. Mm -hmm. And there is something unique to his journey toward masculinity that does involve separating out from you. Now, I want to be very clear in saying it doesn't mean he stops having a relationship with you. It just means the relationship needs to evolve and look different over time. And that is different than his relationship with his dad as he's moving toward all things masculine. You know, he's moving into some deeper connection that happens. And ideally, there's a bit of a passing of the baton that happens in the race as a boy travels from early childhood into adolescence and toward adulthood. But again, it doesn't mean he stops having a relationship with you. That's not it at all. But it just means the relationship needs to grow and change. And and I think there's a lot that moms can do to support that. But I think, again, unless we have these kind of thoughtful conversations, we can get in the way of that and not even be aware that it's happening at times. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's scary for a lot of moms to think about that, to think about, especially if they have young boys, um, just thinking about them growing up and pulling away. And it almost doesn't seem fair. I've thought this sometimes that it doesn't seem fair that a mom's relationship with her son has to pull apart, whereas a dad relationship with their son gets to grow closer together or a mom's relationship with her daughters would be the same way, like would grow closer together and vice versa. But for those of us listening who have all boys... (laughs) We want some encouragement from you about about what this looks like. It's hard. Absolutely. And and I love that you compared it to that because you're right. You know, it's it's not fair. And I think it is, you know, I have three children. My oldest is a girl. My two youngest are boys. And I feel I think where my heart is so great for moms in that space is because I feel that same journey with my daughter, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that opposite gendered relationship. Like I know the long journey is my daughter moves in young adulthood and adulthood into relation dating relationships with other guys and eventually someday if she's a married woman then you know that whole leaving and cleaving piece is that she anchors herself strongly to that relationship with her husband not to me as a dad and so i i want moms to hear me saying i feel that i hear you i struggle in that same way of nothing about releasing the kids we love into the world feels natural. Mm -hmm. Not any version of that separating out and letting go, I think feels natural. Everything in it, you know, it it doesn't feel instinctive because it's like we've been for so long in this game of nurturing, caring for, stewarding, all these things. And now we're supposed to release and it just never feels natural. Even if we know it's right, it doesn't feel natural. Yeah, yeah. But is of such importance thinking about their overall development. And I think most moms, when they actually think through it, they would say, yes, I, I agree. I do not want my 30-year-old son coming back and 
depending on me to do his laundry every week or or if he's married and has a family calling mom every day to talk through his issues when he should be talking with his wife. Like, I think every mom would agree that that is the goal. Like we want to raise strong, independent men who are going to love their own families and cleave to their own wives. But getting there is is sometimes is sometimes tricky. Tricky yeah. territory. Yes. <laughs> so let's go ahead and dive into some of these stages. Um, I'm just going to do a, a brief overview of the stage because we've talked about it in our in our podcast episode last week. And then, um, David, I will ask you what some of those things that mom specifically can do in, in each of these stages. So, so the first stage that you talk about in your book is the explore. And that is from ages two to four. And you talk about at this stage, boys are aggressive, curious, and self-determined. And they really need space and structure during this time. They need boundaries, open space, consistency, and understanding. So tell us a little bit about um, what boys need most from their moms at this stage. I would say if if you're going to camp out in any place, I would say hold on to space and structure. Okay. Those out of all the needs would be the top two. I mean, obviously love and nurture is going to top every list in every stage. Let's, let's just go ahead and assume that, but let's say number two and three in the top three lists would be space and structure. He needs a lot of room to move. He is wired for, as you all been discussing activity and movement. And that is not the case for you as moms. Like, you know, I talk about the aggressive piece about the way boys interact so physically with the world around them. And, you know, I, I tell a great story. My own son's in that stage of running to my wife when she came to pick him up one day at preschool and headbutting her, you know, and she was so embarrassed. It happened right in front of the teacher. And I was talking it through with her. She was telling me the story and I was like, sweetheart, hear me say, I think that was their little boy way of saying, mommy, I've missed you so much that I need to ram my (laughs) body into you and we're going to become one being, (laughs) you know, and and that physical expression of that great love is sometimes what just overtakes Mm -hmm. him. And that night, like many nights, I had to do a lot of coaching with my boys say, guys, you cannot tackle your mother or your sister. She does not feel loved in that way. You can tackle me. And I think mom's giving boys a lot of space, not just to run and move the obvious, but also space of understanding. That's part of what happens with him sometimes. You know, he just, I was talking with a a great friend who has a son in this space recently, and she said his school had defined him as a serial hugger. You know, he just will like (laughs) grab hold of you in any given moment and pull you over sometimes. (laughs) And I think it's because genuinely he loves his friends so much. and He gets so excited to see him overwhelmed by that great love that he just pulls them to the floor sometimes. And again, that's not saying we're not doing some coaching and redirecting in that, but some understanding. I find that to be for a lot of moms, particularly if you only grew up with sisters. I talk Mm -hmm. with a lot of moms who grew up with sisters, didn't live with boys. These beings are, you know, their first experience with the male species. And they're just like, what's wrong with him? And I'm like, actually, nothing's wrong with him. You know, like he's, he's hardwired for activity and movement. And yeah, he is aggressive and he has a lot of physical expression. So space and understanding, that's going to be the case. And room to channel all that. You know, boys just, mm-hmm. stage one boys, honestly, stage one through five boys cannot spend enough time outdoors, in nature, moving their bodies. Like it is a part of what combats all the physicality to how we're hardwired. And so I would say that, but I would also say structure. You know, think about a preschool environment for any parent listening right now. 
Where else in the world would you go where you hang your backpack in the exact same cubby, you sit in the same chair, we wash our hands at 9.55, we have a snack at 10 o'clock, we have circle time at 10.15, we go outside at 10.25. Like everything is so ritualized because we know that kids in that space thrive in structure and sameness. And so you can't offer too much of that to him within the rituals of your home. And so, you know, I even say to moms a lot of time with your bedtime rituals, that's not saying you have to execute everything to the minute. It is to say, try to create as much sameness as possible. I think, you know, even bath time, like it's great for boys to take a bath every day, even if they're not completely filthy, that can be a good rhythm. You don't have to choose that one rhythm, but something that they're doing in the same way every day in the same space to create that sense of structure that I think creates and breeds a lot of security for boys. So let's, you know, let's always be in the bedtime routine, you know, tucking in, reading books, saying prayers, you know, as much ritual and rhythm as we can fold in to offer that structure and sameness, I think is key. And moms, in my experience, do that in an amazing way. Like they're Olympic gold medalists. I think it's why a lot of moms, let's laugh at this, panic when they go out of town. They're just thinking, who even knows when the dads are going to get them in bed? Who knows what they'll feed them? <laughs> who knows if they'll remember to read books? Who knows if they'll be bathed when I get back yeah. in town? We, that's not to say that's true for every dad, but to say that structure and sameness is often a little harder for us. And I think generally speaking, moms, you offer that to him in an extraordinary way. Now, last thought I would say to that is this. I think it's important to note that boys have what I call a love-hate relationship with structure. Mm -hmm. uh, they crave it. You just heard me say they need it desperately, and they despise it. They don't like it imposed upon them. So we're not waiting on him to thank us for that. Like, thanks, Mom. I love taking a bath every night. I love going to bed at 730 every night. You know, they're going to push against it. It's not that you're doing it wrong. It's just part of that tension of that love-hate relationship. But at the end of the day, hear me say he thrives in it. It's the reason we're not throwing curveballs in the preschool environment every day. Like, ah, today we might not do circle time. Today we're going to skip snacks. You know, like we're not flipping the game upside down because we know kids thrive in that structure and sameness. I think that's so good to recognize that the kids might push back against that structure, but just because they're pushing back against it doesn't mean that it's not good for them. And as as moms, it's important to to recognize that and remember that that this is good. This structure is good. And I think especially, like you said, bedtime routines, I think just kind of puts a good ending on the day and kind of closes the day with a positive, a positive interaction. Even if everything else is crazy, I know that this this structure will always happen in this and it does provide right. safety for them. What mistakes do you see moms making during this stage with with their little ones? I'd say maybe the biggest is that lack of understanding. It's it's a part of why writing wild things felt so important to me and 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 mm -hmm. extending a lot of grace to mom say, of course, that doesn't make sense to you that he would tackle you to the floor because I don't know a lot of adult women who tackle people they love, but I know plenty of boys who do. And so I think the mistake is when we don't anchor ourselves strongly enough to this understanding of the unique way God hardwired him, how he's yeah. built, how he's made, then I think we can when we're not even aware it's happening, go straight to the question of what's wrong with him. Yeah. And I would challenge any parent listening who has a firstborn girl and then a, your second child is a boy, you are going to have to adjust the bar of expectations significantly. Mm -hmm. I would even argue for those of you listening who have a firstborn boy, you know, there are a lot of firstborn boys, not all, but many who meet more of the criteria of how we understand even the firstborn profile. They tend to be more 
performers and pleasers. They tend to be a little more of a rule follower. And that's not as much the case with seconds and thirds. Now, again, there's a lot of ingredients in the mix, temperament being the primary that can shift that equation. I've met plenty of firstborns who are like thirdborns and a lot of secondborns who are like firstborns. But generally speaking, we're going to have to adjust the bar, particularly if your firstborn is a girl, because he's not going to hit benchmarks at the same space. Part of that understanding piece that I think is a mistake is I find a lot of moms making comparisons. Even if you don't have a firstborn girl, you may have friends who have girls and, you know, they'll say things like she can sit and listen for so long and he can't do much of any of that. And, you know, what the research would tell us has told us for decades and decades is that, you know, generally speaking, her developmental pace is going to be advanced. She's going to be ahead in about every thread of her development with the exception of gross motor. He's likely going to be ahead in that space. Otherwise, emotional development, social development. Even think about what we know to be true at pediatric well visits when the pediatrician first asks, how many words is your child saying? Girls are often saying twice as many words as boys. So in about every thread, she's going to be ahead. And we're going to have to make adjustments, not comparisons, adjustments, or else we end up right back in that space of what's wrong with him, which isn't helpful to his growth and development. So I have a sister. So I did not grow up with boys. And then my sister, she has three girls. And then I ended up with all the boys. I have four boys. I'm not sure how that all worked out. But it was funny. Like my mom for the longest time, I think was just kind of like in culture shock. Like, I don't know what to do with these little boys. Yes. Like I raised daughters. I My nieces are all, are all girls. And I think for the longest time, it was like, yeah, what is wrong with these children? What, what is wrong yes. with, there's something wrong with your parenting clearly because they're running around and they're crazy and you need to get them under control. So I think that that it's so good to understand just the makeup of of boys, of their minds, of their hardwiring, of how they develop physically, and just not make those comparisons. And and to your sharing, I love that you shared that. I have lost count at this point with how many hundreds of parents who've told me over the years since Wild Things came out that they bought a copy for the grandparents, that they bought a copy for their mother or their mother-in-law because the dynamic was exactly what you mm. described. And, yes. you know, a grandmother who didn't parent boys and now she's got a house full of grandsons and and it's not making sense and she's in that place of thinking what's wrong and then as you <laughs> described it starts to affect the parent-child relationship then your intention it's like I need my mom or my mother-in-law's support and mm -hmm. I feel like we're at odds because of this lack of understanding so yes that could be <laughs> I'm not trying to sell books but the, if that's helpful to make the conversation a little easier where I could be the bad guy explaining some of those things and you don't feel like you always have to you know even if just having them read that first chapter on stage one development to understand more of that to keep them away from that question of what's wrong how can we connect with our with our son's hearts during this stage during the explorer stage you know part of why we utilize play therapy with young children is that we understand play is a child's work. And so I think let's borrow the wisdom of knowing that. And I would say with stage one and stage two boys, like you can't do enough play with him to really enter into his world. And I think what play also does is it counters the relationship simply being defined by the structure piece. You know, you just heard me assign you the work of making sure there's a lot of structure. I don't want you to just feel like, a, um, you know, a, a policeman or security guard where we're all we're doing is enforcing as opposed to we're also camping out in the space of enjoyment. So I would say do a lot of 
building Legos with him, do a lot of stacking, do a lot of building forts, do a lot of running around in the yard, do a lot of scavenger hunts. You know, I don't think you could do too much of that in this space so that he gets the experience of relationship with you that is about the structure, but is also defined by play. Yeah. And I know, I know that that's hard for moms too sometimes because I would, I would prefer to sit and read books for a couple hours or, hey, let's do a craft together. Or, hey, let's sit in color. And they're like, no, let's build booby traps. I have a, my five-year-old. He's all into <laughs> booby traps right now. And he wants to get out. He gets out the drill. My, he finds my husband's like power tools and he gets out the drill. He's like, I'm going to go build a fort. I'm like, no, no, you're not. So yeah, it does take a little bit of a, uh, I guess for mom, stepping out of their comfort zone to like- Gosh interact with their boys and have a Nerf yes. gun battle or build a fort or play like active things. That's good to remember that that is connecting with their hearts. It, it really yes. helps them to, to build that relationship with us. And I would only add to that, um, back to the understanding piece. I couldn't begin to tell you how many parents I've consulted with, with boys in this space who are even concerned about their son's play, that the themes mm. of the play involve wars and battles and, you know, things that, again, for a lot of moms just doesn't like his play feels too violent. His play feels too aggressive. His play feels too, you know, so many things. Whereas, you know, when girls do a lot of play, it's more relationally based often, not mm. always, but, you know, it's. It tends to be gentler. It tends to be kinder. It tends to be, you know, a lot of different things. Don't be overly concerned about that. Yeah. Don't be overly concerned. And I think, again, that brings us right back to the understanding piece. To the degree that we understand that's a part of his hardwiring. Like his, mm -hmm. his soul comes alive in those stories. It's why so many boys are drawn to the Marvel movies, you know, throughout their growing up. Like the theme of a hero coming in and saving the day. Like that's part of what God has sown into who he is. So of course he's drawn to these stories. Of course he's fascinated by battles. You know, so many boys understandably love history. And so I think it's a part of where they just kind of come alive in those themes because that's a part of, again, that hardwiring that to the degree we have understanding, we don't feel so alarmed when we even see evidence of the themes within that play. Sure. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because we've talked about that on this on this podcast before. And I appreciate your affirmation of of that, um, that God has designed our boys to to be aggressive and to be drawn into battles and to fight spiritual battles. Like I yes. think it's so important in their faith development, in their in their spiritual lives that they have that passion of like, I'm fighting alongside yes. God in this, in this life. And they have a like a higher calling in life. And I think those that God has designed them with those desires of of a wanting a battle to fight and wanting like that aggression. I think that 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 definitely is part of God's design. But yes. so yeah. So thank you for affirming that. You're welcome. All right, let's move over to the lover. The lover is ages five to eight. And at this stage, he is tender and obedient, competitive, and he often gets attached to dad. Um, and what he needs during this time is compassion and restraint. I have, I guess, two lovers right now. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, but he just recently turned five. So I feel like he's still kind of just coming out of that explorer stage. Um, so yeah, so tell us a little bit about, about what boys need from their moms at this stage, at the lover stage? I would say the one of the most important things he's needing is for you to enjoy him in this stage. Mm -hmm. I, I want to challenge any mom listening who has a boy in stage two, just enjoy him. Savor this time. And that is not at all to say it's all easy and it's all smooth and it's all wonderful, but it is to say 
if I could freeze a boy in any of the five stages, I'd freeze him in stage two. Hmm. I really would. I think boys are full of some of their best stuff in this moment. I do. And thus the words, you know, he's tender. There is a kindness that emerges with kids in this stage when their basic emotional needs are met. You know, it's a part of why when I travel around the country and speak to parents, I often do in-services in schools, and it is so common for me in those in-services to meet kindergarten and first and second grade teachers who've been at it for 25, 30, 40 years. I have that happen all the time, and I think you can stay in the profession for so long with kids in that space developmentally because they're so tender. You know, I don't meet a lot of seventh grade teachers who've been at it for 40 years. That's not so tender a space. <laughs> I have nothing but respect for middle school teachers who've been at it for decades. But yep. it is to say, I think that's what can keep you in the space. And so I want to really challenge moms because there's a lot to the day to day. And it's easy, understandably, to just get exhausted with executing the day in and day out. And I I just want to challenge you to savor and enjoy because I think developmentally some of the best stuff happens in this space. Yeah, that's a good reminder. Um, I think for me, pictures, looking back at pictures mm. is always such a good reminder to enjoy my kids where they are now. Like I look yes. back even just like a year ago or two years ago and I'm like, oh, they were so little. Look how cute they were. And then I'm like, did I really think that then in that moment? Was I really enjoying who they were? And And then it reminds me like, well, am I enjoying them right now? How am I making the most of where they are right now? And like, I can't love them anymore in the past. I can't love them in the future. I can only love them right now today. So it's it's always a good reminder for me. And then take pictures today, moms. Take pictures of what they're doing today because a year from now, you can look back and, you know, it'll remind you of those moments that you had with them. I think you, you mentioned in your book to take pictures and videos of this time so that you can look back and be like, yeah, look at that. Look, look at yes. that relationship that we had. And sometimes when it gets harder, when the relationship starts to get a little rocky, you can remind each other actually and show your, show your side and be like, look, look how much we love each other. Yes. What, what kind of mistakes do you see some moms making um, in this stage? You know, I talk a lot about kind of back to the hardwiring piece understanding that boys are, males are more singularly focused creatures. And so you as women, generally speaking, have this remarkable ability to multitask out of, you know, there are a lot of parts and pieces of brain development that explain that your hippocampus is larger, you can take in more sensory data, memory's a little stronger. So boys are, generally speaking, males, more forgetful creatures. And Hmm. because we are more forgetful and more singularly focused, I'm quick to challenge moms to give boys, when you need to guide him in some instruction, give him one instruction Hmm. and then praise him for that. I think we make the mistake. I think this happens every day in homes. You know, I think cars and vans and SUVs pull into driveways and boys hear things like, okay, listen up. we got a busy day. I need you to drop those muddy cleats outside. I do not want them in my house. Go ahead and hang your backpack in your locker. Head on up and do your shower first today because we've got that big science project to work on. We'll do dinner and then we're going to jump on the homework. Only to find him five minutes later, just kind of meandering around the house, building a Lego project, (laughs) playing with the dog. And then we find him. We're like, what are you doing? Did you not hear me say how much we have to do? You know, that exasperation, that frustration that I think boys bump up against a lot. And to that example, I would challenge any mom listening. I think that's on us because we, we should know better. We want to know better that 
four to five to six instructions in a row. It's too much. Now, hear me say clearly, I acknowledge he has all those things to do. I just want us to break it down into manageable tasks. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to say things like, hey, buddy, drop your muddy cleats out back and find me. And then when he does, great job. Praise him. So we're just breaking it down, breaking it down to honor that he is more singularly focused. Otherwise, what I think happens in this stage when he is so tender is he can take some real hits to his sense of self. Like I think if Mm -hmm. boys are bumping up against that kind of exasperation and frustration all throughout the day with their teachers, with their coaches, with their parents, with their grandparents, again, because we haven't rooted ourselves strongly enough in understanding the way his brain and body works, then he will spend a high percentage of his life in that tender space feeling like I'm not hitting the mark. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not meeting the expectations around me. You know, just that sense of, I feel like a failure. And so that's where I would press into the understanding piece again, so that we can be offering instruction, guidance, discipline, love, even affirmation differently because we understand his hardwiring in a way so that we can feed and fuel his sense of self, not tear that apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really good. One of the things we've done with our boys is I created some checklists for them. Um, so like in the morning, they have like the same things. And I just got tired of nagging every single morning. Did you brush your teeth? Did you pack your backpack? Did you eat your breakfast? Did you put your clothes on? Yes. Like, And so now we, I created checklists that I now I just say, go look at your list. Good for you. What else? What else is on your list? It's it's something so I don't have to keep nagging them yes. for, and I don't have to overwhelm them with all of the things. They can just go and look at their list and be like, oh, I still have to do that. Yes. And I use like little pictures so that they can so that they can see. And my my seven-year-old loves this. He like just thrives on the structure. He's our third born and he's very sensitive and just thrives on the structure. He loves mm. checking off the list and he just loves the accountability of like getting things done. And so so that That's that great. works really well for him. Well, and what you're also doing within the understanding piece, you're using a visual cue and boys are visually mm-hmm. wired. You know, that's yeah. that's part of why I labor in each of those chapters talking about what's going on developmentally, because generally speaking, he's primarily early on a tactile and kinesthetic learner, and then he's going to grow into being mostly a visual, spatial and experiential learner. And notice that nowhere in that list of five did I say he's primarily an auditory learner. And I would say, I think one of the greatest things moms could do is remember that and, and avoid the tendency yeah. to talk too much and, and think to your wisdom, mm. how could I create more visual cues for him? So I'm giving less auditory prompts because that's not one of the primary ways he learns. Is that how you would say that moms could connect with their, with their hearts during this stage, not talking too much? I would. I absolutely would. Because I think boys can get lost in the verbiage. And I think even talking too much does two things with boys in this space. I think one, it can overwhelm them. When we talk, for example, say he's, you know, made a bad choice and we need to have some conversation around that. When we keep talking, boys, boys have a really unhealthy relationship with shame and they can go to it immediately and they can spiral deep into it. And Mm. so I would also challenge moms within connecting, you know, eye to eye breeds connection, I think, for a lot of our daughters. You know, feel they feel that intimacy. There is, you know, a lot that happens within that experience when we're close and making eye contact. Eye con- too much eye contact can actually move boys into shame. You know, and so I think mm. it's why they get squirmy and move around sometimes when we're having harder conversations because it feels yeah. unsafe. So I talk a lot about talking shoulder to shoulder. And so mm. think about taking advantage of that rich 
time at night when they're in bed, they're, I think boys in stage two are like snuggly puppies, you know, like, and so lay in the dark. We're not having to look at each other eye to eye. We're side by side. We're reading books. We're praying. We're talking. It's amazing to me how much talking boys do at night when their emotional defenses are down and it feels safer sometimes to say important and even hard things out loud. Sometimes when I'm in the dark, just looking up at the sky next to my mom, if I'm a stage two boy, then it does sitting in the light, looking at her eye to eye. I am so thankful that I had this opportunity to chat with David Thomas about what boys need from their moms at the explorer stage and the lover stage. I hope you will join us again in the next episode of Redeeming the Chaos, where David and I continue our discussion and we talk about stages three to five in a boy's development, the individual, the wanderer, and the warrior. If you would like to connect with David Thomas or learn more about his ministry and his books, you can go to RaisingBoysAndGirls.com, where you will find links to his books as well as his own podcast, Raising Boys and Girls. Hey, Mama, real quick before you go, I need your help to spread the word about my podcast. I want as many boy moms as possible to benefit from the information in this show. Would you think of two friends or family members that would benefit from this episode and share a link with them? It would really help out the show and I would be super grateful. Also, I have a special Christmas gift for you. It is my free ebook, The Night the Angels Got Lost. And this is a captivating three-part family Christmas devotional for kids ages 6 through 10. The Night the Angels Got Lost retells a familiar story through the firsthand experience of a young shepherdess. Connect with your kids on a deeper level this Christmas as you join young Abigail on the hills outside of Bethlehem. Enjoy a cup of cocoa and snuggle by the fireplace using this book to inspire imagination and encourage thoughtful discussion as a family. Capture your children's attention and connect with their hearts as together you celebrate the arrival of the promised child. You can download your free ebook from the show notes or go to christmasstory.faith. Thank you so much for joining me today for episode 37 of Redeeming the Chaos with Laurie Christine. If you would like to read a blog version of this episode or download free resources that will help you raise courageous boys, go to redeemingthechaos.com.